everybody. Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. We are back, back from vacation. We are here, Jen, Matt, myself, and we're ready. We're fired up. Woo! We've got a great conversation for you today with Mary Trump. That will be coming up shortly. What'd you guys do? I did beach. Beach is great. It was beautiful in the North Fork. I'm so happy to be back, though, because I missed you guys. Mm-hmm. Matt? I did not. Well, I did actually beach for a moment. I was in Asbury Park. <gasps> Ooh. How do you get there? You don't have a car. Do you walk? Like... There's a, it's called a train. <laughs> There's a train. It goes. It goes to Long Branch. Mm-hmm. And um, then well, I ate at Frank's, which is the, the quintessential diner slash deli for all of New Jersey. And uh, that was fun. Cool. Right. And you, Andy? I took the time to declutter and clean. Which is very exciting. Very. Incredibly. No, you really have no idea how exciting that is. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> um, saw family, did, you know, usual stuff, outdoorsy shit, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. We pre-taped a lot of interviews, so we were still posting, as you guys know. But it was kind of nice not to have to prepare for a couple of weeks. I think we were worried about you when news broke that yes. you, you might just come into the studio wondering where we were. <laughs> This kind of segues into our two big things, one of which is the 215-pound gorilla in the room. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I mean, the, the evil genius of Trump is that there's just so much shit. It's like, uh, yeah, I'll get another arrest. Like, in different times, if a former U.S. president was arrested, it would be, like, the only thing we're ever going to talk about for the next million years. <laughs> you know, while we were on hiatus and our little two-week vacation, he was indicted for a fourth time in Georgia. Last night, he flew himself on arrest force one to Georgia. This time, it was like common criminal shit, fingerprinting, mugshot. I was so excited because they were going to measure his height and weight, but apparently he submitted that beforehand. Like the details of the arrest on the form were made public before he actually arrived at the jail. And of course, he's six foot three, 215 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that means he's lost weight since Ronnie Jackson took his weight. Right. He's down from 240. Yeah. He's, he's svelte. <laughs> and then he went back on Twitter last night. I got a notification. I was like, holy shit. It's been like almost three years since he's been off Twitter. And what does he tweet? His mugshot. Like a badge of honor, of course, with his Trump.org, whatever the fuck his website is. The, the grift is continuing. He's fundraising. He, he's he's raising money with the mugshot from his fourth arrest. He's also a strawberry blonde. It's gorgeous. I love it. Lindsay, what do you think of, of that? Oh, I just love his hair. <laughs> I just would love to get that kind of hair myself. <laughs> Urine in a bottle. So I'm curious to see what's going to happen on Twitter because he's just like, the gloves are off. Like Whatever kept him off Twitter... For the last two and three quarter years, does he just not give a shit anymore? I, I think that what got him back on Twitter was the excitement over the number of views for his interview with Tucker on X. And it, it exceeded when I last looked at, assuming that this is a real number, because we have no idea if Elon is manipulating this. But it was exceeding 230 million views, which is a lot. And my response to that is 215 pounds. <laughs> And so one of the things that I thought was really funny, you know, I'm looking at his inmate numbers, like 1135809, 1135867530, oh, 
And now that I, I can't get that out of my head, <laughs> one, one, three, five, eight, oh, nine. Somebody, Randy Rainbow, if you're out there, you've got to make that song. Jenny, I've got your number. Jenny, it's Donnie. Donnie, instead of Jenny, it's Donnie. <laughs> one, one, three, five, eight, oh, nine. All right, so Fannie Willis, she ain't fucking around. She's the first person to indict and actually treat Trump as any other person who's been indicted yeah. and actually fingerprint him and actually do a mugshot. Georgia, where no man is above the law. Um, she denied Mark Meadows' request to delay. She has a big hearing coming up on Monday to deal with his request to move the trial to another jurisdiction because Fulton County, Georgia overwhelmingly Biden country, Democrat, and the counties north of Fulton County are much more evenly spread or even more Trump country. And she just subpoenaed Brad Raffensperger, Secretary of State of Georgia, the guy who was on the other end of the, I just need to find phone call, perfect phone call, as Trump calls it. And so she's trying to prove that this had nothing to do with Trump's role as president which is just a stupid thing to even have to deal with in the first place. Like, what would Donald Trump and Mark Meadows, what would the chief of staff be doing in his role as chief of staff, getting in the business of Georgia counting votes? There's nothing in the Constitution that gives him any jurisdiction over that whatsoever. Same for Trump. And not only did she deny him, she did it in such a brilliant way that she brought up that he previously had made fun of the Hatch Act when he was accused of violating it by an internal investigation. And of course, the Hatch Act means you're engaging in political activity because if he was engaged in political activity, then it's not the duties of the chief of staff. Right. Look, she's completely buttoned up. She is ready and raring to go. And this dude just fired his attorney in the Georgia case. An attorney who, by the way, was like progressive, donated to Democrats who supported Colin Kaepernick. I mean weird choice to begin with but his new attorney like his old attorney like it's, it's i don't know what goes on in in atlanta but they all are known for representing rappers <laughs> <laughs> it's like his old attorney well he represented uh little jeezy and wheezy sneezy and then and, and the new lawyer he and the, like big poppy poopy and small jeezy it's like i don't know who these people are but apparently they got in a lot of trouble in georgia and Trump's lawyers are like the experts on this shit. Going back to the other indictees, I think we really have to talk about Jeff Clark and Rudy Giuliani for their response. Jeff Clark, who blocks me on Twitter, by the way. But Jeff Clark actually demanded that the judge hear his case at a specific time that he wanted to delay this. And also, he felt like it was very inconvenient to be forced to fly to Atlanta so quickly. This is in his filing. Uh, uh, that's fair to me. I just move the whole. Where is he located? I think he's in D.C. D.C. They should just move the whole trial to D.C. for him. At taxpayer fun. expense. I'd chip in for that. <laughs> we all have been. The other thing that uh, occurred this week is the debate. Simultaneously, Trump posted his interview with Tucker Carlson. We got a little snippet of that. Physically and physically, he's not exactly uh, a triathlete or any kind of an athlete. You look at him, he can't walk to the helicopter. He, he walks. He can't lift his feet out of the grass. You know, it's only two inches at the White House, right? It's not a lot. But you watch him and it looks like he's walking on toothpicks. So, and then you see him on the beach where he can't lift a chair. You know, those chairs are meant to be light, right? They're like two ounces. <laughs> yeah. You lift him up. He can't lift the chair. He can't walk to the chair. 
And I, I don't know what they're doing with the beach. You know, this beach is seeming to play a big role, but they love pictures of him on the beach. I think he looks terrible on the beach. He looks terrible on the beach. Skinny legs. Well, he can't walk through the sand. You know, sand yeah. is not that easy to walk through, but when he walks through it, he can't <laughs> walk through the sand. And there's somebody in there that thinks he looks fabulous at the beach. I think he looks horrible at the beach. Plus, the beach doesn't represent what the president's supposed to be doing. What the fuck is he talking about? That interview was bonkers. You know, excuse me. First of all, have you looked in the fucking mirror? Like what you look like? At least Biden can stand on a beach without a shirt on. But then he talks about Jeffrey Epstein and killer mosquitoes. Like, how does anyone look at this guy and go, yeah, he's my guy. <laughs> That's who I want back in the Oval Office. Kids, this is why you don't use cocaine. So the debate. What'd you guys think? <laughs> exactly. All right, let's move on to the... Well, I mean, there were a lot of interesting things in the debate, even though it was an hour and a half. I'll never get back. First of Two all... Two hours. Uh, I, I it's watch, it's I, even worse than you thought. I, I didn't watch the last half hour, I think. I just fell asleep. But it was interesting to see Chris Christie was totally hobbled by Ramaswampy, as I call him. He just he was going to be the one who spoke yeah. and made all the clever things. And then Ramaswampy just sort of took over and he was awful. I just couldn't watch him anymore. He's just like hopped up on hoofers. That dude is <laughs> jacked. He's so fucking manic. And that smile. Like, dude, <laughs> stop that. I've seen that on Dateline. I mean, that was the amusing part. But I think that the the part that uh, it kind of ruined Ron DeSantis is any hope. I mean, it was obvious that he was completely overwhelmed. He was barely there. And then the other person that I think was disappointing to some people who like him is Tim Scott was not yes, even on the stage. But so, no. I thought it was pure entertainment. I loved it. It was like yeah, it was like watching, I don't know, like it was almost like watching a movie. You know, it was and, you know, it was low stakes for a Democrat. Right. Because like you just want to watch them attack each other. I thought it was fantastic. And, and it really showcased Nikki Haley, who, I mean, obviously, this wasn't the primary audience isn't hers, but she looked fantastic mm -hmm. and strong and, and reasonable. And that was that was surprising. Yeah, I, were, I really enjoyed it, actually. The biggest and the only takeaway that really matters is that when they were asked if Donald Trump was convicted of a felony, would you still vote for him? Yes. And with the exception of Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson, they all said yes. That's really all you need to know about this party. Yes. This is not your father's Republican Party. This is not Ronald Reagan's Republican Party. This is not the party of law and order. It's not the party of faith. It's not the party of national security. It's the party of Donald Trump, and, and it's a fucking cult. And uh, that was a really disgraceful moment. Um, but here was something interesting that Chris Christie said. Whether or not you believe that the criminal charges are right or wrong, the conduct is beneath the office of president of the United States. And that's the truth. I mean, it does matter if it's a crime and it is a crime and he committed many of them and he's going to be held accountable for that. But Christie's right. It's just also about the office. Doesn't anyone on the right care about that anymore? Isn't there no respect for that office? But here's a quick rundown of what I thought about the various candidates, uh, Vivek Ramaslimi, as I call him, climate change is a hoax. To say climate change is a hoax as the world is literally burning and hurricanes are hitting Los Angeles, like, okay, that's a, that was a good call, Vivek. Um, 
Donald Trump is the greatest president of the 21st century. Faux show. He's just like a, like an arrogant, manic tech bro. That's really the only way to describe him. And that vibe to me is just really awful. Annoying. Yeah. Um, DeSantis, good to know. He's going to invade Mexico. <laughs> I better get my Cancun trip in before then. Uh, and that creepy smile thing. Oh, that was awful. That's terrible. <laughs> oh my God. Man, can't he's not human. He's like he's not, he cannot muster up a smile. Nikki Haley, I agree. Confident, aggressive, pragmatic, rational, focused on the general election. Reagan-esque, presidential. She was presidential. She fucking eviscerated Ramaslimi on foreign policy. Her position on abortion. I mean, how much more normal can you get than just let the woman decide, right? She was also talking about education. She called out Trump on the deficits. She was the only one that would attack Trump early on. She was hands down, hands down the winner of that debate. And Chris Christie, you know, he had a great line with the chat, calling uh, you know, Ramaslami, um, it sounds like chat GPT. But I agreed, Matt. He was a colossal disappointment. Pence was very rehearsed, although I got to say he was feisty. What do you think, Lindsay? Oh, he was so feisty. <laughs> I just love, I love me some feisty Mike Pence. Mm, delicious <laughs> feistiness. I'm going to say, I think that was kind of the start of Andy Ostroy winning the infamous backroom bet. What? The bet. What bet is this? The bet that Mike Pence is going to win the nomination. Um, but I'm telling you, last night, that's the, the turning point. The turning point. I'll give you that. He looked strong. He was a fighter. And yeah. he wasn't his normal constipated but, self, for sure. No. Tim Scott. I mean... People like to say he's a nice guy, he's a real Christian, man of faith, whatever, but he didn't show up. And when he did show up, it was to accuse the federal government of weaponizing the FBI against Donald Trump. He wants to fire Merrick Garland. He wants to fire Christopher Wright. That's just nonsense. Doug Burgum. Such an interesting, interesting what is, Interesting foil. eyebrows. What an interesting guy. You took the words out of my mouth. That is an interesting foil, though. But the, the, guy, the guy tears his Achilles playing basketball, shows up, stands on it for two hours, so he gets props for that. But he mentioned small town like a hundred times. It was almost as if John Mellencamp was standing next to me <laughs> singing, I was born in a small town. What else can he talk about? He has no record that anyone's ever heard of. True. But compared to Trump, like, why not vote for that guy? Exactly. All right, let's get to our winners and losers. My winners... <laughs> The wonder twins of Trump and Putin, who have effectively eliminated any competition in their ranks. My loser, Jim Jordan, for opening an inquiry into Fannie T. Willis. It was the latest example of House Republicans allied with Trump using their power in Congress to try to derail efforts to prosecute him. My winner, of course, Fannie Willis is a winner, but I'm going to go with India for landing on the moon. That's an incredible feat, and Russia couldn't do it last week. And my loser is, of course, Bergozin, who should know better than to attempt a coup and think that he's going to live after doing that to Putin. My winner is Nikki Haley. Because even though I got my money on Pence, uh, keep an eye on her. There's a lot of logic to her potentially getting that nomination. My loser... Yevgeny Prigozhin, who may or may not have died in a plane crash. <laughs> the jury's still out. Um, all right, let's get to our weekly rant. 
Donald Trump despises losers. He hates to think of himself as a loser. He's also a coward, which is why he will do anything possible to avoid prison, and why he will eventually withdraw his 2024 presidential campaign. Trump's been indicted now four times on 91 felony charges. His RICO indictment in Georgia poses the single greatest existential threat. That state's RICO statute carries a mandatory minimum five-year prison sentence if convicted. Given the evidence and seemingly ironclad case against him, assembled by Fulton County DA Fannie Willis, a conviction in the trial scheduled for any time between October and March uh, of next year seems inevitable. And the closer we get to that trial, the more likely many of Trump's indicted 18 co-conspirators like Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, Jeffrey Clark, and Sidney Powell will have flipped against him. Just this week, we've seen Mar-a-Lago property manager Yusil Tavares flip. This is a really bad sign for Trump. What's more, special counsel Jack Smith's U.S. government case relating to Trump's theft and dissemination of top-secret classified documents is also pretty dang ironclad. Then there's also the government's January 6th trial and the hush money trial in New York. Trump can try his cases in the court of public opinion all he wants, but it's the court of law where his ultimate fate lies. No amount of whiny witch hunt bullshit can save his corrupt ass. So here's how Trump will quit. There will be an intervention. His lawyers, allies, and kids will plead with him at the very last minute that the cases are too strong, that he especially can't roll the dice on a Georgia trial, that he will almost assuredly be convicted and spend at least five years in prison, and that being in prison until he's at least 83 may very well be a death sentence. And in the end, Trump will capitulate. The Teflon will have finally worn off because the long arm of the law crawled up his bloated orange ass and took control. He'll cop a plea, admit guilt, and agree to immediately exit the race. And he will agree to never run for elected office again, just like a loser, like a coward. And the fever that's bedeviled America for the past eight years will finally begin to break. All right, let's bring out Mary Trump. She is a trained clinical psychologist with a Ph.D. from the Derner Institute of Advanced Psychological Studies. She's the author of two New York Times bestselling books, Too Much and Never Enough, and The Reckoning. She is host of the Mary Trump Show podcast and is well-known as the niece and outspoken critic of former President Donald Trump. Mary, welcome back into the back room. It is great to be here. Uh, even under these circumstances. Yeah, you know, I was just telling the folks in the studio here, like, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm just, he, he's just exhausting me. Like, I'm just so, can it end? Will it end? Tell us, Mary, make us feel good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's that's my job? Yes, you're a therapist, you're a psychologist. Make us feel better. When is it, give us the date it's going to end. When is it all going to oh. go away? Well, I don't want to get myself into any kind of trouble there. Of um, but, you know, all things end eventually. Um, but I just do want to add one caveat. Yeah, he's exhausting, but the wall-to-wall -wall coverage, I mean, the people who are participating in this and making it this unceasing, unavoidable spectacle and i'm i'm including law enforcement like what was it with those entourages right and the motor it was just that's exhausting too that he continues to be catered to and propped up and you know this is this should be for anybody 
in his position who's committed all of these. Okay, like nobody's committed the kinds of crimes he's committed. But for any person, this should be the most humiliating day of your life. Are you saying you know, that if you were arrested, you would you would not post your mugshot on Twitter? That you'd be you humiliated? Know, Unless I needed the money from the T-shirt sales. Mm. Probably not. I probably would not. Um, what, sh- what should we feel good about, though? Uh, I mean, obviously, I think we're, we're only going to frustrate ourselves if we expect any of this to happen quickly. It had, I mean, th- I think we've turned a corner for sure. But this is a process, even if, and that's a big if, He's convicted of any of these crimes before the election. There will be appeals and then there will be another appeal. So, you know, we need to manage our expectations, but let's also revel in the fact that yesterday was the worst day of his life and it's only going to get worse for him from here. Do you think he sees it that way? Because you Mm -hmm. mentioned humiliation. And I think the last time you were on with me, we talked about humiliation versus embarrassment or something like that and that given that he's a sociopath does is he really humiliated was it the worst day of his life or in some sick twisted way was it one of the best days of his life well um i don't know if this makes sense or if it's helpful but uh you know i as i've said in my first book and and in other places i I can't diagnose him because mm-hmm. he's never been my patient. Now, obviously, there's a lot of extant evidence uh, in support of certain diagnoses. I understand that. But, you know, there's also a point at which the utility of doing that uh, isn't necessarily helpful. It's his behaviors we need to worry about. But in this context, I think it is, a, it is an important distinction. Um, he's not a sociopath. So he does feel things. Um, and in fact... Much of his life has been spent in protecting himself from feeling certain feelings. Humiliation and fear being the two greatest emotions he's done everything to avoid. Um, And I think what we saw yesterday is this sense that the dam is breaking. Uh, That, you know, at some point it catches up with you. Mm -hmm. And there is no way that even he, in his own mind, can turn yesterday into a triumph of any kind. Just look at the mugshot. Look at that weird mini press conference he gave before getting on the plane to go back to New Jersey. Uh, This was not somebody who was in command of anything. Mm. Um, So, you know, uh, I, I think that's important. He is not immune in the way, uh, you know, a pure sociopath would be. And even they eventually at some point um, can, depending on the circumstances, can uh, prevent the walls from closing in. But he's under so much stress and in something that other people have pointed out that it's sort of worth noting, in all of these instances, he's totally alone. Like He has no friends with him. He has no family with him. He has no support system of any kind. And right now, uh, the allies who mean the most to him are the people uh, who are also most likely to turn on him. And I'm speaking about his co-defendants. Right, right. 
It's interesting. You said a few things that really interest me, one of which is the spectacle of the motorcade. There, there is some silver lining like in that. If we remember the whole fear-mongering phase of the Mexican caravans, you know, the caravans yeah. are coming with the thugs and the criminals and blah, blah. And to now be witnessing this little caravan of their own, of him and his 18, you know, one by yeah. one, driving into Fulton County and the full circleness of it is very gratifying to me. But I'm interested to talk more about the sociopath thing because I've always been under the impression that he's a sociopath. I mean, years ago, I went online. I was like, all right, give me the 10 qualities of a sociopath. And so it's like, yep, 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 yep. But you don't think he's like a, you know, clinical or however the professional term would be. You don't think of him that way. No, I think my grandfather that way, for sure. Um, the, the thing that's sort of, Interesting and, and co what complicates uh, coming up with a diagnosis for Donald is that he meets the criteria for many different personality disorders. But we also have to think of these things on a continuum. Um, you know, there's antisocial personality disorder. And that's, you know, in its broadest sense, that is just somebody who operates outside of the norms of what's expected of us as citizens. You know, like somebody uh, who breaks the law in small or large ways, um, somebody who just doesn't think the rules apply to them, somebody who lies, et cetera. Uh, so, you know, on the low end of the continuum, there's the petty or things. And then on the extreme end of the continuum, you would have your sociopath. Um, so, I mean, he's clearly somewhere on that right. spectrum. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are just ways in which, and again, this is not to get him off the hook. You can still be a miserable, horrible, cruel person mm -hmm. and not be a sociopath. Right. Um, I happen to be related to a bunch of people like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's, again, it's it's not like it makes him less bad. Mm -hmm. It's just, it just clinically, he's presents in a particular way um, that in some ways, I think it makes his psychology a little bit more interesting. <laughs> um, but the bottom line is that uh, regardless of his diagnosis, he needs to be in prison for the rest of his life. And he never, ever should have been allowed anywhere near the levers of power. Mm. And the fact that he was elevated ever to anything, but let alone to being leader of the free world, is a stain this country will never recover from, I don't think. I mean, we have a lot to make up for it's just it's continues to blow my mind to this day that we allowed that to happen it is and it is astounding and it might happen again because this entire an entire political party has been and i don't i don't want to say co-opted donald didn't create this republican party he just gave them permission to be even worse than they were and they took it mm -hmm. you know and i i think that the the best exemplar of that is Vivek Ramaswamy. Ramaslimy, <laughs> as I call him. 
that's I, that's good. I've ever a smarmy. That's harder. To it's a little say, hard. Though. It's a little harder on the mouth, but Rama yeah. Slimy just rolls right off. Rama Slimy, <laughs> I like that a lot because she is so. Oh my goodness gracious! Imagine looking at that person and and thinking, oh yeah, that's that's my kind of guy. No, well, I mean, the whole party is broken, and I do want to get to the current Trump campaign with you in a second. But so you think he's sitting there right now? He's afraid. He's humiliated. He's angry. He's nervous. I I actually I don't think he's feeling the none of this is conscious. Like he, there's so much at stake for him. Um. In terms of not feeling those things, you know, he can't admit he's one of the reasons we're here is because he can't admit he's he lost. You know, I mean, mean, well, we're actually technically we're here because Obama made some jokes about him at the correspondence dinner. But I I mean, the beginnings of it, if we want to get technical, is when my dad dumped a bowl of mashed potatoes on Donald Trump. You you don't happen to have any video of that, do you? Somehow that sort of prompted him to like do the spaghetti on the wall throwing. Like if this whole food shaming anger thing is connected, maybe, maybe there's never, some connective tissue there. I never thought of that, but it's certainly that's that, you know, that marked the era of his being. So, I mean, nobody want, likes to feel humiliated, of course, mm-hmm. but. Most of us, if we've been humiliated in that way when we're seven and it kind of becomes part of family lore, by the time we're 70, we've learned to laugh about it. Mm-hmm. But he, not him. Uh, so I, there is definitely a line to be a direct line from that to his reaction to Obama. And my biggest problem with that is like, why was Barack Obama paying any attention to Donald? Like, the, this is the lesson that. Right. that you know, we still haven't learned the best thing to do is deprive him of oxygen and look at yes. And that's actually one of the things that's helping him, ironically. You know, the 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 rage he's feeling, and we saw this in the mugshot. I mean, he was trying to look tough and like righteously indignant, and he just looked full of unhinged rage. And that's what he's feeling. But that rage is as extreme as it is because that's what's needed to counter the fact that the sense of fear and humiliation are starting to break through. And that's just, we need, that would annihilate him. So if he were left alone with that stuff, that would be very dangerous. But now all he needs to do is turn on any channel and that's him 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Donald's the center of the universe again. And, you know, most of us would think, well, that makes everything worse for him. That sort of ameliorates everything because, oh, well, you know, look, I'm still the most important person on the planet. And sadly, he's not wrong. No, no, that's 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 why I'm exhausted. It's like it's like this disease that you just you're just trying to get rid of. It's like a fever that won't break. Do you think when he wakes up today, does he really think he's been wronged that it's a witch hunt, fake news that he really won, or is it just all a scam in his mind? Um, I, I the way I put it when when uh, it was about starting the big lie is that Donald's like one of the few people who actually just gaslights himself. <laughs> you know, he uh, knows he's lying at first, and he repeats the lie strategically to get other people to believe it. 
And then he kind of starts to believe it himself. So the truth, it's like both things at the same time, in a way. Um, so it's um, it's quite something. Um, and I think that's why, like, I find it really obvious when he's lying, but other people, people who are inclined to support him and believe him uh, are are convinced by that because... You know, in his own mind, it's kind of true, even though he knows it's completely well, false. Well, it sort of t- ties point. into the, his whole, one of his defenses is that he believed. Like, it doesn't matter what he believed. It's, uh, whether he broke the law or not is what, what matters. But so you mentioned before, like, here we are again. Like, uh, uh, it's 2023. The man's been indicted four times, arrested four times. We have a mugshot. He's been found liable of sexual assault. Yet he is the front runner by as much as 35 points or more. Does it say more about his base than it does about him at this point? The more fascinating thing to me is that even his strongest, most loyal supporters eight, nine, ten years ago were different people. They were just maybe weird and right wing in other ways, but they weren't in a cult. How did right. that that to me is the bigger issue here because when I saw him on Twitter last night, I mean, I got a, an alert and I was like, holy shit, he's back on Twitter? And that said to me, he is fucking angry. He is enraged. And it's like, yeah. I think the next couple of years in this country is going to get worse before it gets better, in my opinion. And God knows what can happen. Oh yeah, it's definitely going to get worse. The question is, will will it get worse beyond the 2024 election or will we take that as an opportunity to get serious about changing things in this country? I don't know. Um and that's the fact that we're in this same actually in a worse place now than we were right. in September October of 2020 is is unfathomable, but we are. Um okay, so as for as for the base, like in a, anywhere, a, any country, any culture, there there's going to be 25, 28 percent of the population that's just the worst of the worst. And, you know, the 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 role or one of the roles of liberal democracy is to contain those people and kind of make them irrelevant. Um, but. Thanks to the Republican Party, um, Donald got into the White House and for two years, a hundred percent of the federal government uh, responded to and elevated that twenty-eight percent. So the whole republic, all elected Republicans, hmm. um, represent the worst of the worst. That you can't separate them out. I mean, they're they are in lockstep with Donald, who is completely beholden to the base. So if the Republican Party cared at all about the future of this country, they would stop caring about what the base thinks. And yes, you're right that that their behavior, the, the behavior of the base has changed or uh, become more extreme. But again, that's because it was allowed to. Uh, you know, it's not that they're not different people because um, 
suddenly they're worse. They're they're behaving differently because they were given permission to be as bad as they want to be, mm-hmm. or shaped into that. I mean, yeah, you, I mean, it's think of it as a cult. You know, the cult leader cult. shapes them into that behavior. Plus, again, the entirety. Of the, if you have, let's think of it in terms of COVID. Um, if you are a hardcore Republican, you've always been a Republican, and you really admire the Republicans you vote for, and you're being told by the people you've put your trust in by voting them into office, you're being told by your senators and your your representatives and your governors and your president and what have you, that COVID's a hoax, don't wear a mask, it's, you know, it's only killing liberals or whatever. Why wouldn't you believe that? Why wouldn't you believe them mm-hmm. if that? So, so that's sort of what's happened. So, you know, you've, so you've had the, the whole party kind of training uh, their electorate to believe certain things and behave certain ways. And of course, we've had the acceleration of media, media siloing. So they're not hearing any information that contradicts their new worldview that has been shaped out of whole cloth, which is, which is why people talk about two realities. Like, well, no, there's one reality, but they've been trained to live outside of it, mm-hmm. which is why it's difficult, if not impossible, to reach them. But they're, they're just also delusional. I mean, what do you make of... Yeah. When you see the doctored photos of Trump's head on like Schwarzenegger's body and like like that's just next level delusion. What gets people to that point where it's not just like, oh, I like Trump. I like his policies. But like they see a big obese old guy and somehow in their brains they're seeing Stallone. What do you mean? 250 and strawberry blonde. Let's not forget the strawberry blonde. What, what the hell? With, what is that? They didn't say strawberry blonde. It's a nicer way of saying urine colored, okay? Because that's really what we're talking about. By the way, when I see the mugshot and the inmate, and it's like inmate number 1135809115. And like something was in my head, and I kept saying like 1135. And then all of a sudden, just. Uh, Eight six seven five three zero nine. I knew you were gonna go there. Right? It's like it, now it's like I can't separate the two. So someone like Randy Rainbow, someone's got to make this song, right? Because it'll be unbelievably funny. But I don't know. I think Trump, as a, as the cult leader, he's gonna fade away at some point. Whether it's a long incarceration or death or something, there is a, a light, a proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. But what? How long do you think it's going to take for America to recover from Trumpism? A very long time. <laughs> um, but the it will take longer if the Republican Party either isn't just burned to the ground, metaphorically speaking, or like really does. I don't know if they can do soul searching because they don't have a soul, but. Um, Unless they start to come to terms with the damage they've wrought and get really serious about reforming themselves and helping to educate people, uh, it's just going to take longer. So the only way to shorten that path is for Democrats to win in such enormous numbers, to defeat the Republicans so soundly um, 
that the Republicans really are in a minority. The problem is, like, that's what needed to happen in 2020, and it didn't. Republicans outperformed Donald. And we needed massive victories in the House and the Senate, and we, that did not happen. We got the House, but we had the Senate 50-50, and then we lost the House. So the problem is the system is rigged against democracy with the Electoral College, the Senate itself, and the Republicans know this, which is why they are trying to cheat through gerrymandering, et cetera. The task becomes that much harder because it's really important for people to remember that Joe Biden didn't win by almost 8 million votes. Mm -hmm. He won by about 44,000 votes. They get, that should keep us up at night. Um, no, it's just all, like three or four states that, that made the difference. Three states, 44. All the Republicans need to do is cheat enough mm -hmm. around the margins in three states and flip 22,000 votes. Mm -hmm. So that makes it a little more difficult to win in overwhelming numbers because of how the system is totally rigged in favor of Republicans. I mean, we have a 50-50 Senate in terms of the number of senators, but the 50 Democratic senators represent almost 40 million more people. Right. Wyoming, which has 500,000 people, has two senators. California, which has 40 million people, has two senators. It's unsustainable. Yeah, the founding um, fathers weren't so smart, were they? They were. I Actually, a friend of mine is a First Amendment attorney, and... One of the first things he said through the first conversation we ever had when we met was the founding fathers were a bunch of idiots. Like, well, yeah, they they knew what they knew at that fair. time, you know, and they did the best they could. But who could project out 247 years later what we would need? You know, it's like the Second Amendment. The verbiage in the Constitution doesn't apply to what yeah. we have today. So I'm assuming you saw the debate or saw parts of it, at least. But. How do we end Trumpism when most of the candidates who are running against him stand on a stage, not only pledge to vote for him again if he's a convicted felon and the nominee, but defend him? They're def like, did these guys not get the memo that they're actually running in a campaign against him? Now, maybe they have other motivations, perhaps, to be vice president or mm -hmm. whatever, 2028, eyes on that race, but... I had a former Trump, uh, they called her the Trump granny. I had her on Pam Hempel a few weeks back. <laughs> and she said, when you have your president, when you have senators and Congress, and they're all telling you, yeah, it is true. It is true what Trump is saying. You believe him. So until the Tim Scott, like Tim Scott saying that we got to stop the weaponization of bullshit. That is just utter bullshit. He knows it. Mm -hmm. But what is the glue that keeps them together in saying this kind of stuff? which not only helps Trump, but just fuels Trumpism and makes it that much harder for any of this to ever go away. Well, a couple of things. First, um, this is the part that makes no sense to me. They know they can't beat him by going up against him and the bank. So you would think they would take that as an opportunity, which Chris Christie pretended to do, right. uh, to attack him and present an alternative. but. Not still not going to win. <laughs> I mean, right. That's the point. They have nothing to lose. So wouldn't the smart money be on attack the shit out of him, call him corrupt, call him a traitor, just present the alternative? I'm not going to win the other way. I'm not taking his base away. It's a well, mystery why they do that. And the other thing, too, is like 
my favorite movie of all time is The Wizard of Oz. My favorite scene is when the witch dies and the guards and the monkeys and they're all, she did. And then they're all happy, right? Like, you know, the minute exactly. something would happen to this guy, they would be dancing in the streets. Why don't they have the courage to just do something about it today? Well, because they're making the cynical calculation that, as you said earlier, Trumpism will outlast Donald. Mm -hmm. uh, it, so if it isn't him, it's not like the base is going to switch allegiance to somebody who is anti-Donald. You know, the base isn't going to become Democrats or anything. They're still going to want their blood and their raw meat thrown at them. Um, and we know that not one person on that stage has any integrity. They all say things that are, aren't just lies, they're dangerous lies, like the absolutely insane lie that Democrats want you to be able to get an abortion up to the day of birth. I mean, that's also, that's even, what murder. Even after the baby's born. Or infanticide, <laughs> that, you know. So that's just vile and violent. And that's just the Republican Party now. There is no other kind of Republican right now, mm -hmm. which is why the only thing that will get them to stop, it's not appealing to their better, they don't have, they're not good. <laughs> they're, they're, anti-American, pro-autocrat, fascist, bad people, mm. right? So they need to be crushed electorally. And again, you could say, well, okay, but Donald's done nothing but lose for them. He lost in 2016. Mm -hmm. Conversation for a lot of time. That election was totally illegitimate, but even, let's set that aside. He lost the popular vote by $3 million. He lost for them in 2018 and 20. They got crushed in 2022. It's a loser, but they're continuing to bank. Somebody asked me this a few months ago. Doesn't it concern them that Trumpism doesn't scale? And the answer to that question is no, because they still believe they can win by cheating because the margins are close enough. If they keep it close enough on the edges, they can still win by cheating which is why we need to overwhelm them in 2024 and get serious about reform. Because, listen, Biden had to deal with COVID and a cratering economy and the rise of fascism in America and, and an out-of-control rogue Supreme Court. There hasn't been a lot of time to focus on fixing the infrastructure of democracy. But we are going to have to do that in 2024 going forward. Otherwise, every election for the rest of our lives is going to be the most important one of our lifetimes until we lose. And then it's over forever. Right. Are you concerned about turnout or are you feeling good about turnout 24? I'm feeling good about it because I think the American people understand. They understand what's going on. They understand what's at stake. They're probably, like you and I, really friggin' exhausted. <laughs> but we have 14 months to get our acts together, and so much is going to happen between now and then. So much more is going to be uncovered about the horrors that have been inflicted upon us. So many trials, <laughs> you know, so many witnesses. Uh, so I always think that we need to act as if we're 10 points behind and not get confident 
Because I think that's what Democrats do. We win and then we relax. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the issue of saving democracy, if you look at choice, if you look at gun reform, not only should Democrats be fired up, but young people should be so fired up. And I think they are. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. But I agree with you. It's like it can't. This is not a time for complacency or overconfidence or arrogance or whatever. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with Trump? Is he ever going to step foot in a prison cell or is he going to cop a plea? Um, what is in his mind? At the end of the day, is he just going to be a coward and go, fuck it, I'm not going to jail. Just whatever. Just, yeah, I'll whatever. I'll admit guilt, sure, whatever. No, he'll never plea. Ever. So he's going to go down. I I don't know. I, if he does, he's going to try very hard to bring all of us with him. Yep. It's impossible for him to wrap his head around the idea that prison is even a possibility. I mean, it's definitely in the back of his mind, but this is not something he can fake consciously. And why should he have that belief? He's literally never been held accountable for anything in his life. Somebody has always been around to clean up after him. Mm -hmm. He's always been there to throw more money at him or at the banks or what have you. He's always been able to run out the clock to force people to settle, whatever the case may be. So I completely understand why all of this would be mystifying. Like, how could this be happening to me? I'm supposed to be immune to all of this, you know? And again, I do think yesterday was a turning point of sorts, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens, especially in Georgia for in the courtroom. If there's a shift in his rhetoric or an intensifying of his rhetoric. And again, that's tricky because he has this bond agreement where he has to be careful. And we saw him being careful yesterday, which was interesting. But his impulse control is very limited at this point. It's much lower than it used to be. So the thing that most worries me, look, there are three possibilities. He gets convicted and gets house arrest or something. Uh, or the potential for incarceration, or he leaves. He's not going to cop a plea deal or anything like that. Um, there's a lot of time in the interim because, again, he gets convicted, he gets sentenced even, he appeals, and that's another couple of years. Right. You know, his goal in life is going to be to run out the clock on his life, honestly. And the problem, though, for the rest of us isn't, as we've seen, angry mobs. Nobody's showing up for him anymore. Like, there aren't going to be huge mobs in the street trying to take over the country. We're going to be dealing with lone actors and his stochastic terrorism. And we've seen it. We've seen people showing up at FBI offices with AR-15s. Right. Somebody called a bomb threat to Fulton County Jail yesterday. We've got people doxing mm -hmm. grand jury members who were simply doing their civic duty. You know, the uh, prosecutors and their families and judges and their families are getting threatened. I, that's where the real danger lies. This was true back in 2020. He will do anything in his power to get out of this. He'll burn everything down if he feels like that's the only way out. Or if there's no way out, he'll burn everything down. And because nothing matters to him outside of himself, this is a very dangerous time for our country. And uh, it's just amazing, Andy, that this is exactly a conversation we could have had 
in November 2020 or January 2021. It's absolutely stunning that here we are and you can say that it's actually more dangerous now. There's more at stake now. More people are getting activated now. More people are feeling aggrieved. Well, you're right. The lone wolf concern is huge. I do agree that we're not going to have a J6 again. That's just not going to happen. But the ground is so fertile for violence, and uh, he will try to burn it to the ground. I think Georgia is a little bit of a game changer. This whole RICO statute, it's a mandatory minimum five-year sentence. And I, I think maybe it's naivete or just wishful thinking, or maybe I'm just delusional. But I do believe at the 11th hour, or maybe at the 58th minute of the 11th hour, his lawyers, his aides, his family are going to say, you know, you can't roll the dice on this. The evidence is bountiful, and it's very likely you're going to be convicted. And if you're convicted, you're going to prison. So I don't know. I'm kind of holding out that somehow in seven, eight, nine months, there's some kind of deal where he has to admit guilt, he has to withdraw from the race, and then shut the fuck up about the big lie and never mention that again and just slink away to Mar-a-Lago and live happily ever after with the bedbugs. And that's how this fever breaks. Well, I think that's taking into account the 18 co-defendant. <laughs> and I agree with you. There's something about Georgia that's different. It just feels mm-hmm. uh, pivotal. Yeah, and most of those 18, they're going to flip on him, especially Rudy. And Meadows. These guys are not going to go to prison for him. That's how he's going down. And it's that RICO statute and that mandatory prison sentence. But like the Wizard of Oz, he pulls shit out of thin air somehow and gets special treatment and God knows what can happen. Um, But we're going to outlive him and begin to enjoy life again at some point because I am exhausted. Mary, always uh, love your insights, and it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Was this a pleasure? I don't. I feel like I did not do my job. I don't think I made. No, because you you make me feel better. It's this is like me going to therapy without going to therapy. I'm going to my therapist, who happens to be Mary Trump, and I get some shit off my chest. (laughs) I, I, you know, I make. I'm delusional, and you say, "Eh, you, eh, you might be delusional, but you know, you don't, you know, you don't make me feel too crazy. Like you give me hope." And so, it, yeah, it's fun. It's good conversation. Hope is good. Yeah. All right. Andy, this is great. Thank Take you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroyd. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander, and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wynn. If you like what we're doing here, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. And also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. Have a great week.